Hey everyone, this is Coaches on the Beach podcast. I'm Michael Hobson, beach coach at ULM, and I'm here with co-host Colin Wilson, beach coach at Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, we're about to start the second episode of our podcast where uh, Colin's actually going to little, little interview of me, and uh, we're going to get to know a little bit more about Michael and kind of what brought me into coaching and things that I see in the beach game, and then I believe episode three we're, we're doing the reverse and i'm gonna get to interview colin but this is just a better way to get to know us a little bit um but colin glad that we could have you back and we're we're letting this roll for another episode have me back he's gonna kick me off after episode one he said i talked too much um decided to keep me around there's yeah. the jokes there's the jokes i'm hilarious not a not a father yet but got the dad jokes ready to rock um yeah, so Michael Hobson, right, current head beach coach at University of Louisiana Monroe. I'm sure when his coaching career started out, this was exactly where he thought it was going to go and where it was going to end up. Um, but no, right, we want to get a little background on who the two guys that you're hopefully listening to on a weekly basis uh, came from and how they got here and and a little bit about like why we're doing it and, and all that good stuff. So um, I think a good thing to start off with is, is Michael's kind of career highlights so michael where'd you start off at and how'd you get here yeah it's been you know i i like to consider myself still a young coach um but it's been a long road where um started playing volleyball very early in my life was able to grow up in northwest pennsylvania called cambridge springs it was boys volleyball was a huge thing up there and it was big throughout pennsylvania which really helped get my love and my passion for the game ended up going to Penn State Barron Erie campus uh, played there on a brand new division three program um, my freshman sophomore year of college and uh, and then I transferred down to Penn State main campus which is the Penn State everyone knows and loves but with that transition I ended up going into an undergraduate coaching role uh for my last two years of college and my brother actually helped set me up with that gig uh learning data volley got to be a undergraduate coach under mark pavlik and uh jay hosick was one of the assistants colin mcmillan was another one of the assistants all three of those guys have been huge mentors in my life and uh let me explore the the path of coaching went to northwest missouri state to be a graduate assistant out there um was there for a year and then Greg Walker asked me to be on the national team for the sitting team actually. So, yeah. so can you talk a little bit about what, uh, what data volley is, right? You mentioned you kind of started out there at Penn state. Um, I think, uh, I think Penn state, your, your alma mater, or I guess not alma mater, but the, the Erie campus needs a volleyball coach. But yeah, I think I saw that job applicant or job posting not too long ago. If anybody's interested, but data volley, right? Talk, yeah. Talk on volley nerds through what the heck uh, data volley is because it's especially not big in beach yet. Yeah. So uh, for the indoor side, when I was getting into undergraduate coaching, data volley was just starting to get big. There was no national video exchange, which we still don't have for the beach game. Um, and so data volley is a stat program where you can code out as many different stats as you possibly like. Um, it's very customizable. So whatever you would like to take a stat on, like if your right shoe's tied tighter, how do you set 
versus if your left shoe's tie tighter, how do you set? Um, and so I got to really try to perfect that. Um, got to watch Hawaii film at two in the morning and record my computer screen and then take that screen recording and code it out in a way where you code out every single touch that happens uh, during the match and then you can replicate that into actual numbers and statistics that you can use in a scouting report. So that, that that's what I got my start in so I consider myself a numbers guy. Um, but that yeah. is... It comes on a screen that looks like it's like a from Microsoft ninety four, right? The the little Excel yeah. spreadsheet you can do your spreadsheets on is like the thirty four S dot sixteen WV uh, hit a PW on the five zone where yeah it, it's just a lot of numbers and letters that mean nothing until you actually translate it into an actual code that means something. Yeah, and the real kicker is is that each code language is individual to the coder. So Michael and I both coded data volley um, during our careers, and I would when he said PW four, like, I mean, I'm assuming that had to that had to be a pipe, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, okay. that'd be a pipe of some kind. But like, my pipe was XP. Mine you was, got mine was XP. you got the volumetrics codes going. The X's uh, and... is that what I was doing is yeah. I was doing the volume. I learned yeah. from David, Penn, uh, who I kind of stole. I stole a little bit from uh, Virginia Fam over at, at Southern Cal now, um, but then I tweaked it a little bit because my fingers didn't reach the same ways that hers do. Like she's a little more comfortable going one way, and I'm a little bit better going the other way. So that's like the kicker of DV, right? Like nobody has the same language. Yeah, um, we, we all customize it. But and then uh, you were saying you you went on to coach. Uh, sitting volleyball so what's what's sitting volleyball and what's kind of the difference between that and standing volleyball yeah so sitting volleyball obviously the athletes are sitting down into for the paralympics um runs coincides with the olympic games uh so 2016 i was in that quad with the uh, sitting volleyball team we went to the world games out in china uh biggest rule changes there is your butt is never allowed to leave the court you're allowed to block a serve and um, everything else is basically generally the same as normal volleyball rules. You're trying to keep the ball off the ground. Uh, you still got a libero. You're passing, you're setting, you're attacking. Uh, it's just that your serves can be blocked. And my first year in the sitting game, when we went out to China, I was two months into the job. And our first game was against Iran. And they had just brought on this new player for their Olympic run. And he was seven foot eight or something. So when he sat down on the court, his head was over top of the net. And you have this massive block in front of you. The very first call that ever happened on this guy was actually him reaching over the net and blocking a ball that was just released by the setter. Um, but that, that was a really fun time for me and interesting for me to learn a new thing. I was 22 at the time. And a lot of the Paralympic athletes, they were either ex-military or had some type of uh, disability amputation. Um, and most of them were 25 to 43. So I was coaching everyone that was older than me in a sport I didn't really know too much about. Um, and just kind of having to pick it up. But 
that that was a very interesting time. Changed my outlook on coaching. Uh, changed my outlook on the relationships that I could have with the athletes. Um, but from there, I ended up going into the Division One college game and getting an assistant job at Bucknell University. Uh, so went back to Pennsylvania. Uh, went went to Lewisburg. I thought being closer to Penn State would be awesome. I only ended up visiting Penn State like two or three times because we were always so busy recruiting and doing all these other things. Um, but it was still a great job, great opportunity to start my coaching career at Bucknell in the indoor game, obviously. Um, and then from there, went to be um, uh, director of operations at Texas Tech University. Actually, one of the people you previously mentioned, Virginia Pham was the director of operations at Oklahoma at the time. And she's the one that actually helped me get into that role and um, see the, the the new light from the director of operations side. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Lubbock. Um, the light is a train. <laughs> right? It's not a light at the end of the tunnel. It's a train at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, Michael, if I may, can we, can we pop in? Like, biggest takeaway from, from coaching a group that was – um, maybe a little bit older than you with that sitting volleyball team. Um, and then how you kind of transition that into a group that was not adult men, but actually college female athletes at Bucknell. Yeah. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned uh, coaching the older guys in, in the sitting game was I thought everything had to be posture. You, you had to assert your uh, authority and that's how you were going to gain respect. But, um, my first camp that I went to, I knew nothing. So I, I barely said a word, uh, besides when we got off the camp, off the court and I actually talked to the guys, asked them about their lives and realized developing those relationships with them really took me a lot further with their respect than me trying to yell at them or trying to coach them in different ways that they had never been coached before. They really trusted me and got, got my respect that way. And that's something I carried into the college side when I went back to coaching women's indoor is developing relationships went a lot further for me than when I would sit there and spit out numbers at them and be like, well, you are hitting at 182 and you need to hit at 250. Here are your zones that are open. Here's your tendencies. And just kind of speaking to them as numbers versus understanding what they're feeling, understanding where they're going with their ball and what they're thinking when they're playing. And so that was a really big switch in my coaching career for that. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about, cause you take this, right. And you have this great relationship piece with your team, what I imagine at Bucknell. Mm -hmm. um, and then you, you go back into it, almost a strictly numbers role, mm -hmm. right. If I'm not mistaken, it as Dovo at tech, um, right. For, for those of you that aren't familiar with NCAA rules, um, you're usually permitted this is going to change obviously in like a month, but <laughs> all this time you've been allowed one head coach and two assistant coaches on the indoor side and then a volunteer coach. Uh, and the key to that volunteer coach is that you're not allowed to get paid through anything via the university. You can get paid through outside sources, i.e. like camp LLCs and things like that, but you can't make any money from the university. Then you have a director of operations slash usually called technical coordinator and those people are, are the data volley people, like what Michael was doing at Penn State. Um, and they can get paid from the university, but they're not allowed to give feedback to student athletes. Um, you can print out scouting reports. You can talk to coaching staff as much as you humanly want. 
but you can't you can't look at a little barrel and say hey i need you to take two steps to your left <laughs> right you can't you can't say any of that so um talk to me about how you take this relationship piece and then move it into that dovo rule yeah so the dovo rule um became very challenging for me with the relationship because I was strictly numbers on one side, but the other side of the Dovo rule, uh, is, uh, coordinating all the travel, making sure all the foods there, uh, getting people on campus, making sure that when they're on campus that they have everything they need. And so that actually helped me take it up another level of getting to know the athletes because I couldn't coach them on the court. And so that, that took away that, that expectation that I was going to be one way on the court and another way off the court or whatever. Um, but it, it was something where I really had to learn who those people were and what they needed and when they needed it and how they like to travel, what they like to eat. Um, especially when student athletes wouldn't get their meal orders in on time and I had to pre-order everything. I got to know what they normally order and what they like so I can order for them. And um, that that was a different type of level of getting to know them. But it was more about trying to understand how they thought versus um, what I needed to know about what was going on in their life at that current time. So it, it was the two sides of one was coaching, understanding what's going on in their life right now. Why are they thinking like this? The second side of the Dovo side was how do you like to travel? What do you like to eat? What's going to make you happy so you play your best when I can't talk to you on the court? Um, but then also the numbers part, being able to coordinate the numbers to the coaching staff, being able to understand what the other team was doing scouting wise. Um, that was another big role of mine. And um I took those very seriously. Yeah, quickest way to somebody's heart is through their stomach. Right. Second quickest way is through their brain. Uh, no, so that, that's interesting. So from tech, um, right, you were at Texas Tech for two years? Yes, two years. two years. Two years, and then and then where, where to from there? After Texas Tech, I went up to Seattle, Washington, uh, coached at Seattle U for another two years. Uh, when I got there, so this was the interesting part about this job was I moved in the day the stay-at-home order was put in place. So me and my girlfriend at the time, wife now, um, we got to really get to know each other at an early stage in our relationship uh, where we couldn't leave our apartment. It was COVID just starting and we moved into ground zero of where COVID started um, in the United States, obviously. Uh, and it was, it was quite a shell shock, but the first year we, we barely moved out of our apartment. We were doing zoom calls with the team that we had never really met, never really coached. And the, the funniest part about this whole story is this is where I got my beach coaching start. Um, when we were in the COVID times, we were only allowed to practice small groups and we had to do it outside. So naturally you think, volleyball you're gonna take it to the beach you're gonna go to beach volleyball so we went to one of the uh, local clubs up by Seattle down in Tacoma um, and we ended up using their courts and being able to decline is the name of the club if anyone's listening up in Pacific Northwest um, we got to use their courts and I started my beach coaching career there not knowing where it was gonna take me and 
I was pretty miserable actually for the the first three weeks because if you don't know anything about the Pacific Northwest is it never stops raining and it rained and it was cold and I was like why would anyone ever want to do this yeah so that that was a good two years at Seattle um, wanted to kind of make the next jump up the ladder and uh, that was to get a head coaching title to get back into a, a good conference uh, in the Sun Belt for indoor and um, got a call or actually I called Charlie relentlessly who was the head coach here um, for the indoor team to be his assistant at ULM for the indoor team and then be the head coach at the beach team. Um, and when I got that, uh, came down here, been here since February, we went through a beach season where, again, I was trying to figure things out, uh, trying to garner relationships as we're jumping straight into a season in February. And we got through the first season and then that's when Charlie and I sat down and we started thinking, all right, we're going to, we're going to start to separate these programs a little bit. You be the beach coach. I'll be the indoor coach. Um, me, I was going to help Charlie through the entire indoor season, and uh, we were going to do a full beach season in the fall as well. And that's kind of where we really started taking off here at ULM is being able to dedicate a little bit more time to each of the programs. Yeah. And so uh, coming from Seattle to Louisiana Monroe, um, naturally Monroe, Louisiana, and Seattle, Washington are pretty much the same place. So was there was there any culture shock or any like what has been the biggest adjustment, right? You've gone from Mass to PA to uh, to Texas or to Oklahoma, right? Or Missouri, sorry. Missouri to Texas to Seattle to Louisiana, right? None of those yeah. places have a lot in common. For me, it's all about the journey. I enjoy seeing different things. I enjoy the different places I've lived. Um, I like to really uh, take a couple days for myself throughout the year at some point in our wild schedules and just be a tourist of the town I'm in. So I, I've thoroughly enjoyed going from Pennsylvania to Missouri, back to Pennsylvania to Texas, up to Seattle, Washington, which was completely different than anything I'd been a part of coming back down to the South. Um, thought Louisiana would be a little bit more like Texas. It's not, um, it, it is, it is quite different. There, there's a lot more greenery than West Texas and Lubbock where it's a, it's a desert out there. Um, over here, lots of green, um, lots of wildlife. Um, and then it, it just the, the beauty of every place. If you, if you can really sit down and think about it, every place has its own beauty. So, um, that's what way I like to see it. My wife, on the other hand, she likes to be close to family. And that was a great move back down to Louisiana, getting her back closer to Texas. Her family's in San Antonio. Uh, so it, it's been a great move for us. We, we're thoroughly enjoying it here in Monroe. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Monroe, definitely closer to Texas than Seattle. Um, we talk a little bit about what your view of how we met and how we kind of got rolling as um, friends and, and now co-hosts and I guess enemies at some point during the season. We played what three times this year. Yeah. On the so. twice, twice, twice. No, we, we did play three times, didn't we? We played twice at new Orleans. Then yeah. We had to play once at sugar beach, I think. Yeah. So played three times. Um, but how, how do we kind of become, I guess, colleagues and then 
friends and then opponents and now co-hosts together. Yeah, so I actually first heard about you through um, the head coach at the time, Charlie. Uh, he had been talking about you. He, he had gone to different um, events for the AVCA and hung out with you and your head coach um, and told me about how great of a guy you were. And I was actually going down to Gulf Shores to recruit and see the national championship for beach last summer and uh, went out onto the sand and saw you there. So we started chatting it up a little bit. And honestly, uh, I've told you this a couple of times when I started talking to you, uh, I still had a very indoor mindset about things of you're just going to feed me with a bunch of bull crap. And uh, I was going to take it and you weren't going to give me any secrets on how to be a better coach in the beach game. Um, and you started feeding me with information. I was like, holy cow, this guy is giving me a lot of good stuff here. And like you started talking about the the athlete experience and how you like to involve yourself in making good relationships and all that. And I was like, all right, I've never heard this from another indoor coach that I've ever associated with. Why is a beach coach doing this? So I thought you were too good to be true. I was like, no way is this guy being serious. We'll see what his true colors are. And then as the year progressed, we continued to text here and there. And then um, obviously the season, we saw each other three times. And every tournament was uh, another good match between us. Um, and ever since then, like you, your your values and what you talk about, it, it all rings true in my eyes. I, I see how hard you work and how much you know about the game and um, just the, the effort that you put in. And I really value that. And I think it's super important for other coaches to see that. And that's somebody I want to be associated with. So um, as you started to get new things and you moved down to Louisiana, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be close. We're going to take over Louisiana together. We're going to build the beach scene down here. Like I've always had the goal of starting a podcast about something somewhere with somebody. And I couldn't think of a better thing to start about than beach volleyball because it's an aspect of my life that consumes about 95% of my mental ca capacity. My wife gets the other 5%. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so finding somebody that has a really, really great knowledge of the game and is truly um, involved like you are, I saw no better person to try to do this with than you and... Uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how I saw us meeting and be, being able to groom a friendship. Yeah, well, I appreciate the ego boost. I will for sure. Uh, <laughs> your check's in the mail, so I'm getting paid for it. No, uh, Yeah, definitely met down at Gulf Shores was kind of that first, first intro. Um, and then I think you really sealed the deal on our friendship when you made those uh, shotgun shells. Better believe uh, it. Like you said, yeah. the, you, you, you build people up through their stomachs. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put some, just put some meat on the smoker and then feed it to everyone. They're all happy with you. Yeah. We'll try to make sure the wife didn't hear the part about 5% of your <laughs> mental energy going territory. Uh, but let's talk about right in terms of mental energy and people that kind of put it into you. Uh, you know, some of your mentors are, are how you landed on. Um, I imagine everybody that gets into coaching had to get dropped on their head at some point. And so kind of what was the the moment for you where you're like, this is why I want to do this career. Now, yeah. Who got? It? Yeah, it started. Um, I'm I'm a pretty stubborn person. I, I can I can admit that. And so it started with me wanting to do something in athletics. 
Um, I actually went to school. I started school to become a surgeon and realized that nine years of school was not my calling. I was not going to be a surgeon. Uh, that, that, and so uh, I decided uh, my grandfather was a really good basketball coach at our high school and took our team, which is a small town, Podunk, Pennsylvania, uh, took them to States a couple of times. And I always used to listen to his coaching stories. And I was like, I'm a coach of volleyball. That's what I'm going to do. And no one in my family had ever gone down this path, had ever really thought about coaching as a actual um, job. And so I kind of just took it and ran with it. My dad tried to talk me out of it a couple times. And he's like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, we don't know anything about it. Your brother's becoming an engineer. Like, that seems pretty sturdy. What you're doing is not very sturdy. Um, <laughs> but again, I was very stubborn. And so I ended up just going into the coaching route. Um, my biggest mentor in that kind of journey was Mark Pavlik, uh, the head coach for the Penn State men's team. Um, he's someone that I can always rely on. I call him quite often actually and bounce questions off of him that I should probably already know the answer to. Um, but he's someone I can always rely on to help me out in any situation that I'm in. And he was one that really helped me get my feet on the ground. The other two coaches actually that really helped me were the other Penn State coaches. Uh, Colin McMillan, still at Penn State, associate head there. Um, he he and I actually shared his office. I won't call it our office. It was his office that he let me put a desk in and do all my coding from in the corner. Um, and uh, we, we would have a little banter and he would teach me about the recruiting side of what he was doing. And um, we talked some strategy. And then the other guy was Jay Hosick. He was the assistant coach at Penn State, now head coach at George Mason men's team. Uh, he really helped me out. He was the big numbers guy at Penn State. Uh, helped me learn how to create worksheets uh, for data volley, talk strategy with me, taught me how to actually uh, scout other teams. And then he also did one-on-one -on -one sessions with the athletes that he would let me sit in on and teach me how like he would go through with the athletes. And those relationships were really cool to watch because in that one-on-one -on -one setting, he could really break down skills, but you could also tell that the athletes really respected what he was saying and what he was doing. And that's what really started my drive into coaching. I didn't realize it that I was doing it for the relationships at the time. I was like, yeah, I want to win national championships. Um, but then as we get further and further on into the career, I mean, I had Amy Worth at Northwest Missouri State. Um, she was really helpful in a way that I was coming out of college and I thought uh, my, my crap didn't stink. And she was able to allow that to happen, but also keep me contained in a way that would help further my career without telling me, hey, you're full of crap. Like, go sit on the bench. Um, and she allowed me to get my first yellow card. And it was moving forward, uh, Tony Greystone at Texas Tech got to go into a different type of role as a director of ops, worked very, very closely with him about managing a team, working on the different relationships that he had garnered. How did he build a program when he was at Corpus Christi at West Texas to win national championship at West Texas? Like that, that's huge. 
and he really let me see the insides of it and really taught me about the relationships and how far a team culture can take a team. Um, so that was a big thing for me, but those have been kind of my biggest mentors in the game. Yeah. So, I mean, those, that first crew kind of getting it going and then obviously having Tony talk to you about building a program, what do you kind of see for your career? Where do you want to build to? Yeah. Uh, like I said, kind of taking it day by day right now. Um, but like looking at where we're at at ULM, we, we put a good first year on the, on the marks for our program and building it. And so right now where I want to take my career is as far as ULM lets us take it. We're, we're going to try to build this thing up. Um, I would really love to show these student athletes um, a side where they are also academically smart. They're really, really good in the classroom. First two semesters here, they had 3.89 team GPAs. Um, this semester, we had a 3.78. So we're averaging a 3.85 right now. So academically, that's something I don't have to worry about here. And it's something that's truly remarkable. But I want to give them that other side of what they're uh, looking for that that student athlete experience that really really cool division one student athlete experience so building this program out into a program that we have a full dedicated fall um, we're, we're getting after it in the weight room we're able to talk about nutrition um, we're, we're able to really expand their potential um, at a at a pace that they hadn't seen before um, and then getting into a spring, being able to travel a little bit more, see other teams around the country, um, go to California for a spring break, go to Florida on a weekend, you know, doing those types of things would really give that student athlete experience to them that they're striving for and that they were they were sort of promised coming into a Division One beach volleyball setting. Um, their, their seasons are really, really short. Um, so it, it's a eight week regular season, two weeks in between a conference, and then you got a conference tournament and then the NCAAs potentially. And so out of the entire year, when we're training from August all the way to May, you have close to 150 practices and you have 32 competitions at like right around that average of 32 competitions. So that, that is a really, really hard sell that, Hey, we're going to practice a heck of a lot, but you're only going to compete like 30, 32 times. Um, so that, that is something that I want to be able to give them the full college experience. And that's where my mindset is right now. Um, looking ahead five years from now, I still see myself here and I see a program that has built itself into top 20 in the country hopefully um there's a lot of good programs out there and they're all building at the same rate if not faster than us and that's going to be a hard get in five years um but i believe if we continue to put in the work that we did this year and continue to garner those relationships that i keep talking about that's that's going to be a huge um build up for us yeah and i think uh, that's an important note of beach volleyball and college beach volleyball where it's at like some people might hear that and go, Louisiana Monroe, like not only have I never heard of that school, but um, there's no way they could be top 20. But beach volleyball has got kind of that open nature to it. So actually, if you look back, uh, gosh, I don't know, a little under 10 years ago, eight, eight, nine years ago, um, Louisiana Monroe actually, 
like almost won the national championship on a pairs standpoint. Um, right. Stetson still holds the record. I think yep. I mentioned in the last episode, Stetson still has the biggest upset in NCAH history as a, an eight seed over a one seed. Um, right. So it's, it's a sport that does kind of lend itself to a lot of different ranges and a lot of, you know, a lot of growth opportunities. So, um, no doubt that you can, you and your program continue to build towards that regard. That's not like the craziest thing anybody's ever heard. Yeah. Um, what are your kind of hopes for the sport as a whole and, and college beach volleyball? Yeah, I, I think for me, I mean, being newer to the beach game, I'm not, I'm not afraid to uh, admit that. Um, but I think for me, it could be a bonus because I'm learning so much every single week about the sport and being able to talk to other coaches and how open they are with their information. We talked a little bit about last episode as well. Um, I think that the sport is really evolving right now. And that's something that's really cool. Uh, you got different coaching moves. You got, you got Stein coming from UCLA down to Texas, starting a new program there. Um, you might see a national championship switch maybe um, from the, the two powerhouses in California and more teams might start throwing more funding at their programs. Um, but that is something that's really, really cool for me. And I want to see that growth continue. I want to see more beach teams added in the NCAA realm. I want to see more juniors tournaments that are more accessible um, to kids. High school, even for juniors players, it's building. It's growing really cool. And Florida has a really good... Um, standpoint on it like they, they are creating state championships and they've created a bunch of beach programs for their high school players um, to give more ac accessibility to the game um, and I think that's that's the biggest thing for the game right now is just getting the word out about because really anyone can play you, you take a piece of string out to some sand somewhere and string it up and throw a ball over it you got beach volleyball and so I think what I would love to see uh, for the beach game going further uh, is just a little bit more airtime, maybe more more of our tournaments being broadcast so more kids can see it. Uh, the pro tour getting a little bit bigger, getting some more national television exposure. Um, but I think our sport is just lacking that little bit of exposure it could use to really boom throughout the country. Yeah, for sure. I mean, who wouldn't want to see... You know, beach volleyball used to air on NBC uh, back in the early 2000s. And obviously it's tough. It's a tough sport to air live, but it's something we could definitely bring out. And yeah, I think there's three states that are, are doing um, high school beach right now. Then California, Florida, and then Arizona all host beach national championships. Texas hosts like a, like a pairs yeah. um, tournament every year for a state quote unquote state champion. So I think it's cool, but continue to see that grow would be would be awesome for the youth of our sport um what's a, a quote or a mantra that you kind of live by yeah it, it's a it's an older one um failing to prepare is preparing to fail ben franklin i believe um i think i read in a john wooden book somewhere uh but that was one that really spoke to me um i'm somebody that does thorough research and everything that i do usually um and that i take into my coaching career as well is uh, i want film on the other team that i'm playing so i know who we're gonna play against even if 
we show up and they switch all their pairs, at least I know the player. At least I know the styles between all five pairs, and we can kind of talk about that. But um, practice planning, because we have so many more practices than competitions in the beach game, I think it's really huge that we put in that work and time into preparing um, because you never know when you're going to get your shot. Yeah, that, that makes me think a lot of a, of a general patent quote. Um, the, the idea of uh, in all my years of war, I've found that battle plans are useless, but planning for battle is indispensable right it's that's the idea a good one. yeah it's a, that one I, I stole no no ideas right still from uh Hildebrand <laughs> over at usa beach back in the day now at long beach state indoor right but that was something we used to say uh kind of prepping all of our international teams before they went out there it's like yeah like you said the pair might change the game plan might change but it's good to have an idea of what's going to happen when you first walk in that way when something does slightly change you're not like oh gosh, who are we playing? I'm still figuring everything out. You're like, all right, I've got an idea. All right, this little thing changed. All right, we can make that adjustment. Yep, yep. Um, that's awesome. And I, I guess the the kind of last question is like, what's some advice you've got for somebody who's getting into coaching or getting into college beach coaching more specifically? Um, what, what's the piece of advice you give to the younger generation? My piece of advice would be to reach out to the people that are in the positions you want to put yourself in. Um, especially with the beach game, they are more than willing to share information. They want to grow the game. It's a really great group of people, and you'll find that it's a really small, connected group of people. Um, so if you can get in with somebody, they're going to, as long as you do them well, you're, you're going to get in with a group of people that are going to have your back. Um, so if this is a scary time for you of trying to jump into a coaching role that you're not going to make much money and you're going to have a lot of time that you're going to dedicate to your job. It's it's something that can be very special if you go in with the right intentions and you find the right group of people to get in with. For sure. Well, it's an awesome getting to know Michael Hobson a little bit. I, I feel like I learned a couple of new things, even though we're we're good friends like um and excited to kind of get into Coaches on the Beach a little bit more with you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Colin. And uh, we will definitely see you in the next episode where we learn more about you. Yeah. Should we talk about current events real quick? Yes, please. All right. So, uh, well, I mean, current events, not much changed from the last episode, but um, we'll reiterate the tour dates just for just for uh, cohesion's sake. Uh, Michael, where are you off to this weekend? Uh, this weekend i will be uh in tavares florida uh at beach prospects camp um i'm not sure if this will come out before or after i went to that but uh that that is my recruiting trip for this we're going to do a clinic and then there'll be a nice little tournament after that clinic that we'll stay and recruit at a lot of good coaches going to be out there um saw some really good college names on that docket um what about you colin yeah, I'm headed out to uh, San Antonio, Texas for a little Beach Nation slash um, TXBVA showcasing clinic uh, Saturday through Monday. Right? It's Memorial Day weekend coming up for us. Um, like you said, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when this episode will come out, so we'll, we'll play it by ear. If it, if it happened, it happened. You know, life will go on. <laughs> and then uh, and then I, I'm hitting the, the indoor college camp circuit a little bit with uh, Houston Juniors, Austin Juniors, Alamo, and Roots. Beach or Roots Volleyball. Um, are you heading anywhere the first week of June? Right now, no. 
I plan on uh, sitting on my couch and watching some AVP though. Um, we we got the the AVP tour uh, June 9th and ele- through 11th in Virginia Beach. Uh, then they head out to Denver for the Denver Open uh, June 30th through July 2nd. So that will be a nice uh, Independence Weekend coming up on the July 4th holiday. And then um, that July 7th and 9th date, they're going down to Hermosa Beach, which will also host the Juniors Tournament um, at the same time, I believe. Am I right in saying that, Colin? Yeah, it's a, it's a AVP Junior Nationals, the bid tournament. Um, it's kind of their their end of the season wrap up for Juniors Beach. Uh, yeah, hopefully the Denver Open. Right, last year was uh, I, I want to say Denver Open happened with Sean Cook and Logan Weber wearing their American flag uh, cutoffs. So one can only hope that something similar might happen again this year. All the new partnerships, Sean Cook's bounced around a little bit with. He's played with Dave Lee and. Uh, Jake Dietrich, uh, maybe, and Logan's been playing with Evan Corey, so maybe we can get maybe we can get some of them to do cutoffs again. Um, FIVB wise, right? Not a lot. Elite sixteen wise, once again, if uh, if we get this out after uh, after Memorial Day weekend, then the Estrava Open in Czech Republic will be over. If we get it out beforehand, you can watch that on VBTV, uh, and then Stad, the most beautiful tournament on the international tour. And then it uh, looks like there's a Canadian date there for the Elite 16 at the end of July. So maybe we can see the first Canadian men's pairing show up there. Uh, Sam Schachter and Dan Deering. Dan Deering, the uh, highest flyer on the beach tour internationally. And then Sam Schachter, um, definitely the best golf player on the international <laughs> beach. He took us down to me, him, and Andy Benish uh, played down in, in South Florida. Nice. Maybe 2021. And um, Sam, Sam kicked the daylights out of us. So hopefully he. What'd you shoot? You remember? It started with a one for sure. <laughs> His probably started with a seven. Yeah. <laughs> um, the biggest I'll give you the biggest indicator between my game and Sham Schachter's game is I would aim at the left or the right side of the course, and he would aim at the little branch or the big branch on the tree on one side of the course. <laughs> He goes, yeah, I'm going to try to shoot it right there over that big tree, big branch right there. And I go, the big branch? He goes, yeah, yeah, see the third tree from the left? I'm going to try to hit it right over the big branch of that one. I went, Sam, I couldn't hit it that third tree from the left if I tried. <laughs> so, and Andy was also an equally good golf player. Maybe there's an indicator there. But, uh, Michael, thanks for telling us a little bit about yourself and hitting up some uh, upcoming tour dates. Look forward to uh, chatting with you again soon. Yes, sounds good. We'll talk to you later.